Hi there, welcome back. And uh, we were listening to Morning Joe. And uh, here's the breaking news, handwritten letter. Men's big and tall shirts on sale. Only $2.63 you can get one. Extended sizes are from extra large to five extra large. Thanks for choosing From Washington, I'm Jessica Dean in for Jim Acosta, and you're in the CNN newsroom. And we begin this hour with a shocking new development in the Georgia investigation into election interference by Donald Trump and his allies. Sources telling CNN Fulton County investigators now have emails and text messages that directly connect members of Trump's legal team to the breach of a voting system in rural Coffee County. This new development coming as District Attorney Fonnie Willis prepares to present the case to a grand jury. She's expected to seek an indictment of more than a dozen people as early as Tuesday. And that means this week, a former U.S. president could be facing criminal charges in four U.S. jurisdictions. We are covering all the latest developments in this, from the legal and investigative angles to this week's grand jury proceedings. And we begin with CNN's Zachary Cohen, who helped break this exclusive reporting we just discussed. And Zach, start first with walking us through how significant this is, uh, this evidence linking members of Trump's legal team to the breach of a voting system. Yeah, Jessica, these text messages really add to a growing body of evidence that links directly Trump's lawyers and legal team to the breach of a voting system in Coffee County. Now, Coffee County is about 200 miles south of where we are right here in Fulton County, Georgia, where behind us, you know, court proceedings will play out next week. But this breach has become a central part, one of the central parts of Fonnie Willis's criminal investigation into efforts to overturn the 2020 election. And these text messages really lay out for us how Trump's attorneys helped coordinate and were directly involved in a plan to try to recruit a local election official in Coffee County to get them to, um, to get that official to give them access to the voting systems there, and they ultimately did get access to those voting systems, unauthorized access. But that breach does date back. The planning for that does date back almost a week before these operatives gained access to the uh, voting systems in Coffee County on January 7th, 2021. You know, Rudy Giuliani, the Trump's former personal attorney, is also former attorney Sidney Powell. These texts show that they were integral in both funding and um, in their awareness of the planning process itself. So these texts do add another element and, and really do help prosecutors establish that link between Trump's close attorneys and what happened in Coffee County on January 7, 2021. And Zach, you're there in Atlanta. Take us through what the next few days of this grand jury proceeding is going to look like. Yeah, Jessica, we're expecting early next week for um, you know the, the, the district attorney, Fonnie Willis, to begin presenting her case to the grand jury here. And we could see indictments as soon as Tuesday. We know there's multiple witnesses that have been called to appear before the grand jury on Tuesday. Um, and you know that is a signal that indictments could be coming and could be coming soon. We're going to have to wait and see how it all plays out if the grand jury needs more time to, to review all the evidence in the case. But the, the calling of the witnesses and the schedule for them to appear on Tuesday is the clearest indication that indictments could be coming they could be coming soon all right zachary cohen for us live in atlanta thanks so much for that reporting and i want to continue the conversation now here in the studio we have cnn legal, uh, legal analyst norm eisen he's a former white house ethics czar and served as counsel to the house democrats during the first impeachment of then president trump norm it's always great to have you here especially when we're getting news like this which does seem so significant zach walked us through what it means to the broader story how it fits into the timeline the narrative walk us through the legal implications here now that we 
know they have these text messages and emails? Well, uh, Fonny Willis is looking at three different areas of possible illegality, Jessica. The first is the famous fake electoral certificates. The second is pressure on Georgia election officials. That's the famous call, just find 11,780 votes to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. And the third is the uh, alleged uh, intrusion on these uh, computer systems in Coffee County, Georgia. And the CNN story is very important because it connects the dots. We now have evidence that go from Coffee County to Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and as CNN reports right into the Oval Office because this was discussed on December 18th in one of the very notorious meetings in the Oval Office, whether it's possible to get access to these Georgia voting systems and others around the country. It matters, of course, because one of the most serious crimes that we have in the 21st century is unauthorized access, hacking of computer systems. So we'll see what Fannie Willis does, but think of her investigation as a three-legged stool, and our new reporting has revealed details details indicating just how long, how uh, strong that third leg of the story. Yeah, it's showing kind of the through line through all of it. And we've talked over the weekend since we got the information yesterday that Jeff Duncan would be testifying, that this would be kind of happening in, in quick succession over the next couple of days. We've been talking about how Fonnie Willis is really looking at conspiracy charges. She's looking at racketeering charges, not just for Trump, but for so many of his allies, people you just named. And what has kind of struck me is that when you're doing that, when you're prosecuting that sort of case, you really need, everyone needs to be responsible for everybody else's moves. You have to tie the story in as you're talking about. So how will she do that? And does this sort of evidence, these emails, text messages, what the phone call, the recording with Trump asking for those to find the extra votes, how does that all play together? Um, the most powerful tool we have in American law is all to do that is also one of Fannie Willis's go-tos, and that is RICO, the racketeering uh, laws. There's a federal model, but the states have also adopted it, and Georgia has one of the most powerful in the country. A long list of federal crimes plus 40 Georgia state crimes can allow Fannie Willis to charge RICO. She's done it numerous times on high-profile cases in the past, and that's exactly what RICO does. It pulls together those three conspiracies we were talking about, including this hacking conspiracy, into one large um, case that you can present to a jury where you say, hey, what was the point of those fake electoral certificates? What was the point of pressing Georgia officials to do the wrong thing? What was the point of the computer hacking? The same point. All of these people were working together in one, as we put it, enterprise in order for Donald Trump to allegedly hang on to his office when we know he had lost the election. You can't do that in American law. Right, and it is so layered, and those cases are so complicated, but it is it is important to note she, she has tried these kinds of cases before. This is in her wheelhouse, uh, so it's not something new. She's done a lot of these. What do you expect over the next couple of days? Because we know the grand jury will meet tomorrow, Monday, and then it would take a couple of days. Do you think an indictment could come as early as Tuesday? How do you expect the next 48 hours to play out? Uh, 
Um, I expect that we will see some grand jury activity uh, Monday. This is a Monday-Tuesday grand jury uh, in Fulton County. We know that the DA warmed them up, likely, with another RICO case. That One of the grand juries, Monday-Tuesday grand jury, brought a RICO case last week. So you don't want the first RICO case you give to a grand jury to involve the former president. Um, I think that we know that two uh, witnesses uh, are confirmed, a journalist as well as uh, former Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan for Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Prosecutors often, she could just put an investigator on the stand. She had a special grand jury that sat and produced a report. She could just give the grand jury that report. But prosecutors like to warm up a grand jury with live witnesses. So we could very well see an indictment come out of that grand jury as soon as Tuesday. I've been a criminal defense lawyer for over three decades. Criminal law is full of surprises, no guarantees, but right now I'd say Tuesday is probably our most likely landing point for an indictment. Kind of keep our eye on that. And quickly before I let you go, one more thing that I think is so different, because remember this will be the fourth indictment uh, if it does come down. From the federal case, especially against the former president, in Georgia this could be televised. Right. Yes, yes. Georgia is not like the federal courts. The federal courts didn't experiment with televising trials. The judges didn't like it. Uh, Georgia believes in stronger transparency. Personally, I think that's a good thing. That is one of the reasons that this Fonnie Willis case is so important. The American people can watch and see and learn just how serious the alleged attempt on our democracy was. All right. A lot to unpack there. But Norm Eisen, you always do such a great job. Great to see you. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. And let's go now to back to Atlanta, where security preparations are underway ahead of those possible new charges against the former president. Sands Isabel Rosales is live outside the Fulton County Courthouse. And Isabel, we know that the DA has had threats against her, uh, that there are security concerns. How are officials there preparing for this week? Jessica, regardless of the decision from the grand jury, it appears that Fulton County is ready. You can see right behind me here a heavier-than-normal police presence. And, in fact, I took a lap around the courthouse, and there are officers, law enforcement officers, staked out at every corner of the building. And also these uh, orange and blue and, and white barricades that are surrounding the building. They're also planning to control this area by closing down the streets as we head into Monday and Tuesday as well. And it's not just the building, but also safeguarding the very visible face in front of this investigation, and that is DA Fawny Willis. She has, according to a source with knowledge uh, uh, familiar with, with the movements of uh, Atlanta law enforcement officers, Fawny Willis has received additional security protection near her home, and she has... As
And she has, as Jessica, as you, as you mentioned, recently warned officials about staying vigilant about potential security threats. In an email obtained by CNN. The headline is, Georgia threatens security ahead of, tightens security ahead of possible Trump. Done deal, nah. The man in charge of security around uh, the local area that is the sheriff of Fulton County, Patrick Labonte, he says that his team is prepared. Not only that, but he's been taking notes in other cities where Trump has been indicted and bring. He's brought back those uh, good uh, security details back home here to Atlanta. Listen. We understand that the microscope and everyone's watching Atlanta, but it also gave us an opportunity to go to D.C., gave us the opportunity to partner with New York and partner with Miami and understand just collectively what something of this magnitude uh, involves. Our goal is to stay focused, and, and I've said this before, we're ready. Trump has not kept silent about Fulton County. Willis, he's attacked Willis on Truth Social and uh, during campaign events. Willis has previously said that this, what Trump has said, his rhetoric has increased security concerns. Jessica. As well, it is unbelievable that they have had three opportunities when a former president has been indicted to prepare for what could potentially be a fourth indictment. Isabel Rosales for us in Atlanta. Thanks so much for that update. The 2024 presidential race for the Republican nomination is ramping up. Voters in Iowa lining up to get a close-up of Donald Trump at the seat there yesterday. And a lot of those voters seemingly unfazed by a possible fourth indictment looming over the current GOP frontrunner. And I want to bring in our political panel now. We've got CNN political commentator and Democratic strategist Maria Cardona and Doug High, Republican strategist and former RNC communications director. It is great to see both of you. Always a good day to have both of you in the studio. Um, Let's start first with this Fulton County investigation. I'm going to take everybody back to the beginning of the show, which is what we're expecting to get underway on, on Monday with this potential fourth uh, indictment. Uh, Maria, sources are telling us that investigators now have these email, these text messages that are connecting Trump's allies mm -hmm. with the Coffee County uh, voting system breach. Mm -hmm. How bad do you think this is for the Trump team? Because there's legally yeah, and there's and politically. Right. Since we're in the politics panel, yeah, let's yeah, talk yeah. about the, po the political side. So politically for the Republican primary, I think it helps him. Because as we have seen, the more that he gets dinged on the legal side with another indictment, with other proof that he knew that he had lost the election, his supporters do one thing, rally stronger around him. But where I do think it's going to hurt him politically isn't if he does make it through to become the nominee, which right now it looks like he will, but you never know. Right? right? We'll have to have that caveat. And Doug, I'm sure, will have more to say about that. Um, but if he does make it to the general election, I think all of this is kryptonite for him in the general election because you are not going to have uh, independent voters, suburban women, everyone who lost, he lost in the 2020 election now come and say, oh, he got a fourth indictment. You know what? Now I think I'll support him. Mm. No. 
Now, that's not to say, and I always say this, this is not going to be an easy election for Democrats, no matter who the nominee is, even if it is Donald Trump. We live in an incredibly divided country, and we have to do everything we can to mobilize our voters to make sure that they know the difference between Donald Trump or, frankly, any Republican who comes out as a nominee, and Joe Biden for his next four years, focusing and touting his accomplishments and what he has been doing every single day to the American Yeah, and I do think that's such an important point about Democrats. It's, it's not it's not a slam dunk for them by any means. If it's exactly. Trump, uh, that, that is going to be a tight race no matter what. But though, I, I want to ask if you agree with kind of Maria's assessment about Trump politically. And, and I, I do think you have to kind of draw it to the primary and then to a general election. But as a Republican, I know there's, listen, Republican voters I'm talking to in Iowa, a lot of them do have Trump fatigue, but they also want somebody that can win and they're trying to assess who that might be. Yeah, I think we see a few things. We see an immediate term, which is that rallying of support that Maria mentioned. We see the short term, which is a boost in, in his poll numbers and a, and a solidifying of intensity. And I think part of that is all of this bizarrely reinforces Donald Trump's core message. The system's rigged. That's, that's what he said on day one. That's what he's continued to say. And this sort of becomes evidence of that. And as you have this message being reinforced by what he, what's happening to him, you also, also bizarrely, have it reinforced by his Republican opponents, who by and large aren't critical of him. So if you get indicted and the people running against you in politics usually use that as something to attack with. Usually, usually. We cycle. Donald Trump is right. But that then gets to the long term. And this is where we will see the debate whether Trump is there or not. Um, what Republicans say if there's another indictment. And about these, will they use this as an opportunity to do the normal things you do in politics, which is to criticize somebody that you're running against who's underwater like this? Right. And, and let's, stay, let's stay with the Republicans for one second. And, and Doug, I'll, I'll, we'll go back to you. Because there was a lot of talk. So Trump was there for, I think, about on the ground for Iowa for, for a couple hours yesterday. Yeah. DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Ramaswamy, all the, these other candidates were there for many hours, shaking hands, doing kind of a more traditional, what we would traditionally say with the Iowa. Um, do you think uh, that DeSantis specifically was able to kind of maximize that face-to-face -face time? You know, his family. He's making this kind of generational, you know, argument. You know, comparing himself to Trump and Biden. He's got this young family. He's got his yeah. kids. Do you think he was able to move the needle a little bit, even though Trump comes in, sucks oxygen yeah. for a while, and then leaves? I, I don't think we know yet. But DeSantis was very smart to be there all day, every day, and to meet as many people one-on-one -on -one as he can. One, Iowa voters like that. Two, Donald Trump doesn't have to do that. He's not a candidate. He's a celebrity. So whatever he does, people are going to see his name on the plane. I've been in the Des Moines airport and saw the, air, the airplane pull up. T-U, T-R-U, I can't spell today. And like, oh, he's here. And I wasn't going to that event. Right. And so Trump brings that in a way that nobody else can. So you have to work it relentlessly. I'd say the Iowa State Fair is two weeks long. Some of these candidates should go back in week two. And not all the national reporters are there for because obviously we're covering it from, you know, the big picture, but, but this is local. And so, Maria, we did see to that end, we saw the plane flying. There was a lot of talk mm -hmm. about the plane that was flying with the banner that said, be likable, on. <laughs> kind of this trolling that Trump and his team are known for. But we pay, listen, the media pays attention to that sort of thing. Do you think that voters pay attention to that sort of thing? I think that that is the kind of thing that 
voters perhaps not in Iowa will pay more attention to it than the voters in Iowa because I agree with Doug. The voters in Iowa and New Hampshire, they like to see these candidates upfront and personal. They pride themselves in being the ones that they're going to their houses, they're going to the coffee clutches, they're going to the diners, they're going to the state fairs. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that matters. But I do think what matters is that while the national polls do have Trump right now, again, I focus on right now because you never know, there is a lifetime in politics, as the prohibitive front runner, the polls in Iowa are a little bit closer, but not that much closer. Trump is still the prohibitive front runner in Iowa, and I don't see anything that is focused on a momentum for any other candidate to be able to catch up to Donald Trump and frankly beat him. I think what the strategy is going to be for these other candidates is to focus and try to get as much out of a second place or a third place and then focus on that going into the next state. Mm -hmm. Because right now, again, I don't really see any other way because Donald Trump is still focused on the the, the divisive politics, the, the politics of revenge, the politics of uh, resentment, which we know works for his base. And then when you have the whole conservative media now, who at the beginning, I think, were looking for a Donald Trump alternative, they are now focused on defending Donald Trump against all of his legal woes. That doesn't help any candidate except Donald Trump. Okay, so to that end, those candidates are all trying to find a way to, to break through. And Doug, we know that Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom have have gone through this thing, agreeing to debate one another. Now, the details remain not sorted out, but, but that they would debate each other. Do you think this is a good idea? Well, this could end up like Elon Musk and, and Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yes. Maybe it doesn't the happen. The case that never was. So, this to me highlights that what T when Tiffany O'Neill said that all politics are local, that was true then. All politics are not local. No politics are local. What's an issue in Florida is a big deal in California. Mm -hmm. What's a big deal in California is an important issue in Florida. And so, it's sort of not surprising now that we're seeing this as we see senators and, and governors troll each other. What I'd say is I think for Ron DeSantis, doing this could be an advantageous for him if he does well because he can show to his base, look at what a fighter I am, and if they're tuning into Fox News and seeing somebody like, that's a good thing for him. If I'm the White House, and Gavin Newsom, who's very good on TV, gives a forceful hour pushing back on somebody that the left doesn't like, I wouldn't want somebody outshining my president. No, I, I, I think completely disagree with that. Because you think he's amazing. If I'm more amazing yeah, than Joe Biden. Uh, well, I, do, I do think <laughs> that Gavin the, is amazing. And I think that he is a tremendous debater. And I think that he will, if he does well, and I think he will do well, and I think he'll beat Ron DeSantis, I think that he will be... He will be focused on talking to an audience on Fox News, talking about the president's accomplishments, talking about the huge contrast that would be another four years of Joe Biden with the you know massive job creation numbers, the tremendous accomplishments, the incredible legislation that is bringing tons of money to all of uh, local economies that lots of Republicans are trying to take credit for that voted against all of that legislation, and and then you have Ron. Santos, who, to me, this is a move of desperation, because his campaign has done nothing but spiral downward from the moment that he launched it. He 
when you're running for president, you don't want to be on a stage with somebody who you don't think is your equal. Uh, Gavin Newsom is a term-limited, re-elected governor from California. He has nothing to lose. Ron DeSantis has a lot to lose here, which tells me that this is a move of desperation because he knows his campaign is going down. Okay, well, I would like to talk more about that, but we're out of time, unfortunately. <laughs> There's so much more there. Uh, but Maria Cardona and Doug High, thanks. Thank you so much. death toll in Hawaii is now 93. That number is sadly expected to rise. And that makes the Lahaina fire America's deadliest in more than a century. And with more than 2,000 structures either damaged or completely decimated, the state's governor now estimates the economic toll nearing $6 billion. This morning on CNN, Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirano recounted what she saw when she toured the devastation. That recovery is going to take time. It is not going to be uh, overnight by any means. It will take years. This is an entire town that has burned to the ground. Some 11,000 residents live there. I think that um, we are doing a lot in order to uh, provide the kind of support we need uh, to, to be providing, but there will always be the, the call for more. And my hope and expectation is that all of that will come. CNN's Mike Valerio is on the ground on Maui. Mike, tell us what you're hearing from residents as they return to Lahaina. Well, Jessica, what we're witnessing are these profound moments of sorrow and grief. And these moments are only just getting started. Now, to take you through, Jessica, what we have been seeing, what we've been doing throughout our day, this behind us, this is the only checkpoint to get into the disaster zone. And before we came up on the air, we met a woman named Susan. And she is going home. Very emotional about that. But she wanted everybody watching, our viewers around the world, to know that Maui, her home, this island here, Jessica, is not just a vacation spot, but it is the soul and identity of thousands of people who live here. And in this vulnerable moment, she spoke quite movingly about the need for respect. Listen to what she told us. When I drove through on Friday, I had no clue what I was going through. I got so, everything's gone. I worked at the drug house in 1991, it is flat to the ground. There's houses that I used to live in in Lahaina that I don't even know where they were. And, you know, I lost friends in there, you know, they were going back to get their animals, you know, and she died. So, I mean, you know, it's really sad because people come over here, you know, I heard there was a snorkeling boat looking at Lahaina Town. Give them respect, you know, it's so bad. This is, you know, people die here. You know, people, I mean, it's not just a vacation, it's not just a place for vacation. We live here. And this is what makes moments like those, Jessica, so profoundly sad. This beautiful setting that we have right here, looking at the Pacific Ocean back towards the mainland of the United States. This to give you just an idea of place, getting back to how people enter Lahaina, into the disaster zone. That's about a thousand uh, feet above the sands of the ocean. This is two lanes. This is the only way into the disaster zone. It'll take you uh, about an hour to get in. And what's happening? 
officers here, 12 hour shifts, they're checking licenses to make sure that it's only Lahaina residents who are getting in, no tourists, no looters, and of course, when you hear the press conferences and the details that human remains, as graphic as it is, are turning into dust upon the touch. This is such a sensitive area that they want to make sure that nobody accesses any place that has not been cleared because families on the other side of this checkpoint are depending on the first responders a few miles away for answers. We, we are just... We are just getting started with the despair that we are witnessing so many parts of the island at all hours of the day, Jessica. It is so, so deep, such deep despair there. Oh, you're still there. I don't know. <sighs> what else we got? Former President Trump indicted in 2020 election. Oh, 12 days ago. 
ABC News. It's 12 days ago, though, Twister. Let's go to ABC News and look at their live. Watching their live right now, which is live news. ABC News. No ads, man. Like a good neighbor. Shit, are you serious? Shitting me? put them in prison for unconstitutional fucking judgments put the fucking judge in jail Constitutional, like, un um, search and seizure. Yeah. Uh, you know, politics. They charged okay, him. I, I to, got a lot to cut. The other, the other stuff they never charge other weekend, people in, in the legal for. Like that, he might have been probably hard. When he filled out a gun license, an application, give me a fucking break. So they took away his gun. Isn't that bad enough? Fucking Second Amendment gun nuts. Just make yourselves look worse. Like idiots. Corrupt idiots.
Dave listed in the chat. See what's up. Obviously, we got a lot of insight into her mindset over this trial and how she views it vis-a-vis -vis it being part of a presidential campaign. You know, the she doesn't really care. She, not only does she not care, she says, this is more important. This, uh, you know, any problems that you may have with the trial or the Iowa caucus or a debate, uh, that goes underneath this. You are a criminal defendant first. Your free speech rights will give way to this trial. Um, that is an... That pretends as if this is like any other criminal defense trial going on in the country. And frankly, you know, as the prosecution's asking for an early January trial date that would put him sitting in a courtroom rather than in Iowa, you can make a political argument that that actually helps Donald Trump. But at the end of the day, all of this is going to be very unprecedented. Do you think that's realistic? January 2nd is what they asked for. <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know. But what I'll say is, to me... The government in its application talked about the, the interest, the public interest in a speedy trial. And the speedy trial does not only benefit a defendant, it says that it benefits the public. What is implied in that argument, that they didn't state explicitly is, uh, I think is what they mean. If we don't have a speedy trial of Donald Trump, in other words, before the election, there may never be accountability for Donald Trump. There may never be justice because Donald Trump, if he gets reelected, has various means, including by way of self-pardon and by contro <clears throat> controlling the Justice Department, for him, never, and that Office of Legal Counsel opinion that says you can't prosecute a sitting president. If we don't get a trial, the government is implicitly saying before the election, there may never be one. And if, if he is convicted and then gets elected president and he appeals, what happens there? Uh, look, he has a right to an appeal. Um, he can, as, as you imply by your question, Nothing about being charged, nothing about being convicted prevents him from running for president. Yeah. There will be an awkward moment when legal scholars like us will have to sit around and discuss, if he gets jail sentence, how that works in terms of being commander-in-chief. Resolute in the jail cell, perhaps. <laughs> this is unbelievable, the, the issues here. Sarah, Preet, thank you very much. Joining us now is Congressman Jamie Raskin, the top Democrat on the House Oversight Committee. So, uh, Congressman, thank you for being here. What, what, what do you make of this appointment of uh, the special counsel in the Hunter Biden case? You, right? well, it's what my Republican colleagues have been demanding and asking for for months. And um, now they seem to disapprove of it for some reason. Um, but to me, it seems to formalize what has basically been the understanding from the beginning, which is that uh, David Weiss, the U.S. Attorney for Delaware, who had been uh, nominated by Donald Trump, um, can make the decisions about what to charge, where to charge, and when to charge. And with the collapse of the plea agreement that he had apparently worked out with Hunter Biden, now he wants to be certain that he's got the authority to go bring charges wherever he wants. So from my perspective, it is the rule of law and the justice system working itself out the way that it does. And, you know, obviously it's bumpy and this side or that side um, doesn't necessarily prefer this course of events. But our job, I think, as uh, political people is to allow the justice system to run its course. But as you point out, Garland said he had exactly the authority. He could, he could change venue if he wanted to. It was his decision to, to whatever, he was going to abide by whatever decisions uh, he made. So obviously the plea deal collapsed, but what, but what changed? Why? I mean, is there, any, is there any sense that there's new evidence here or the investigation is going to take a different turn? I mean, why, why would he demand this now or ask for this now? I mean, I don't know what factors went into the calculus to appoint. Um, obviously, there had to be some uh, public interest rationale for it. Um, 
you know, the material change in circumstance that I can discern is simply the collapse of the plea agreement. There was no need to have a special counsel when it looked like they had agreed to the tax charges, to failure to pay in two cases, two misdemeanor charges, and then a felony gun charge. But when that agreement appeared to evaporate, um, then I suppose they wanted to formalize that the U.S. attorney for Delaware had the authority that he needed in order to uh, prosecute the case. And certainly there was political pressure being brought on it, which I don't approve of myself. I think it's not our job as politicians to be second-guessing and trying to micromanage. Or prosecutors to be responding to political pressure. Yeah. You're exactly right. Republicans demanded this. Uh, Chuck Grassley actually wanted Weiss to be the special counsel. Now they're, now they're crying foul because they say that Weiss is the wrong guy. This is what Kevin McCarthy said. If Weiss negotiated the sweetheart deal that couldn't get approved, how can he be trusted as special counsel? Yeah. Well, I mean, you may as well just say, how could Kevin McCarthy, who told Donald Trump that it was his people who had stormed uh, his own office in the Capitol, uh, was at fault, but then turned around, uh, you know, a week or two later to uh, curry favor again with Donald Trump and be trusted on any of this. So, um, you know, and this is why we have a justice system. Let's just let them do their job. So... I want to ask you more about the, the, some of the stuff that the Republicans have been highlighting regarding uh, Hunter Biden. Um, you know, we, we've seen, we, we saw Donald, you know, we saw uh, Joe Biden at one point say uh, that, that Hunter Biden had no dealings, got no money from China. We now see from Hunter's own uh, words that that's not true. Uh, did, 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 are, are, does any of this raise concerns for you? You know, the money from Ukraine, the money from China, uh, the money from Russia. Did, did, does any of this? Well, you know, look, whether or not it's criminal, whether or not it warrants special counsel status, are you concerned by the, about this stuff? I mean, here's what I'm concerned about. Um, during the Trump administration, we saw the development of a completely new public philosophy, which is that government is not an instrument of the common good and the public interest. Government is an instrument for private self-enrichment, for the guy who gets in, for his family, for his private businesses. And that's a model that we're seeing all over the world. But now you don't approve of that model, what, obviously. Yeah, I do you not. denounce that model. That's what Putin is doing. Trump. Yeah. That, you know, that's what Orban is doing. That's what Marcos is doing. That's what El is doing. That's what I mean, it's been going on since the dawn of mankind. Um, well, but it's new for America that somebody would get in and basically just say, uh, you know, the, everything is corrupt and I'm just as corrupt as the next guy and I'm going to take money, as Trump did, from China, from Saudi Arabia, from the United Arab Emirates. I mean, look, uh, you know, his uh, son-in-law, Jared Kushner, uh, pocketed a cool $2 billion. From Saudi Arabia. From Saudi Arabia. And in a corporation Saudi, created the Saudi portfolio yeah. in the White House. But what about Hunter? So, but, so I am concerned about it, and I'm concerned not just about public officials like Donald Trump and Jared Kushner, but even family members who water ski along for the ride. And I have been you know, begging my colleague, Chairman Comer, for us to do a serious analysis of what the law should be about money making. And you would take part in a serious investigation. Yes, of course we would. And, and we're going to release a report about all of the foreign government emoluments, millions of dollars we can document that Donald Trump pocketed at the hotels, at the golf courses, through business deals when he was president and that his family got. But they've not laid a glove on Joe Biden as president. They haven't been able to show any criminal corruption on his part. What they've got is Hunter Biden. And we all seem 
clear that this guy was addicted to drugs and did a lot of really unlawful and wrong things. And we have said, let the justice system run its course. They're not saying that about Donald Trump. Anytime Donald Trump actually gets indicted after a grand jury has already determined that there's probably they attack the prosecutors. They, they attack, attack the, the prosecutors. Judge. They attack the judges. Right. They attack the system. For, for them, Donald Trump could never be guilty of anything. All right, Jamie Raskin, thank you. We're out of time. The roundtable is coming up, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie joins us live. Just live next. Whenever news breaks, the crushed families here in Poland. Here in Kentucky, no match for the tornado from Monterey Park, California have been essentially an arm of the Trump campaign both in 2020 and so far in 2024, uh, you know, uh, when in doubt, what since Susan, if he does, let me ask you what I asked Chris Christie, if he doesn't sign that pledge, does Ron McDaniels really say, no, we're going to leave the front runner out of the debate? Well, since Ronna McDaniel and the RNC have been essentially an arm of the Trump campaign, both in 2020 and so far in 2024, uh, you know, uh, when in doubt, when it comes to, you know, sort of this Republican party has become so Trumpified, imagine that they'll find a way around it. Chris Christie, by the way, you know, I believe in the past he said that he would uh, sign the pledge, but then disregard it and doesn't plan to support Donald Trump. But, you know, again and again and again, Jonathan, this is his story. The story is the Republican Party finding a way to justify the unjustifiable. Uh, Donald Trump, you know, there's nothing that man doesn't love more than a camera. So our default setting has got to be that he's going to find his way up. in the middle, right? That he might show up. But, you know, Christie, I thought was interesting, Rachel, saying that, uh, you know, he thought he made a mistake and the others made a mistake by not taking Trump on in 2016 early. No. Uh, actually, Christie waited another four or five years to do so. But... Um, I mean, what what is your sense? Are are are, are they finally gonna 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 take him on, or is this like is he gonna actually show up? I mean, I mean, you're seeing Pence. I mean, you made a very interesting point. Pence is going nowhere in the polls. His fundraising's in trouble. Barely made the debate stage. But is he campaigning for something else? Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting to watch Pence because the vice president, you know, after January 6th, for several months, um, you know, after Trump left office, he didn't want to talk about what happened that day. And, you know, at the fair, we very much saw Pence lean in on talking about Donald Trump and how he was wrong about the 2020 election and how he didn't have authority to just throw out, you know, electoral college votes. I mean, I watched as a number of people came up and shook his hand, thanked him for doing that. He also got heckled for doing that. But he... He brought it up unprompted, and he was very much taking shots at Trump on this. And sort of the, the observation my colleague and I had at Politico was that, you know, this doesn't really help him with COP voters. So is he running for something else? Is he running for legacy? And we asked him about that. He said, you know, I'm running to win. Well, but course. you got to wonder really. because, you know, it certainly yeah. would have helped him in the polls. You know, Donald Trump took on the Republican establishment in 2016. And I don't think the establishment, and maybe you know better since you understand the Republican establishment, they haven't been able to really get their sea legs back. I don't know if the Republican Party will ever be a, quote-unquote, a mainstream party again, unlike it was before, when you understood conservatism, conservative values, but now you have a, an indicted uh, defendant out on bail 
who is leading the party, who is basically uh, running on a platform of retribution, and that is going to define not just the presidential race, but I think all of the down-ballot races as well. I mean, explicitly running on retribution. You know, to get back to the Pence point, I understand everybody thinks it is, you know, so many Republicans either think that Trump won in 2020 or think it's rude to point out that he didn't win in 2020, but I do think that the other candidates have to make that case if they're serious about winning because what is your argument left if Trump actually won in 2020, counterfactually, you know, and it was stolen from him, then of course that's the tough issue, and you can't say he's a loser, you can't say he's not electable, because he's in that alternate reality, won two presidential races already. And, and meanwhile, we have what happened in Ohio, uh, which should be a big warning yeah. sign uh, for, for, for Republicans, right? This, this uh, you know, Ohio big victory for the abortion rights uh, movement, big defeat for Republicans. Well, I think in a Republican of, state. That's right. Look, part of this is the incredible distortion field where we are, we are all somehow moving in Donald Trump's alternate reality, right? We are talking about, well, it's a great benefit. Uh, to him, according to, you know, big story in the New York Times today, that he's been indicted criminally, what, three times, and it looks like a fourth coming up this week, because we're living in this warped distortion field of a Republican primary in which Donald Trump is stampeding. It's a minority of a minority in the country. And so then you have something like the series of abortion rights referenda in the wake of the Roe versus Wade decision, and you realize that in this country, even in deep red states, uh, there are solid majorities that don't think, you know, uh, Donald Trump would be the president then, who defeated him in the popular vote in 2016 and in 2020, who support by actually record numbers abortion rights. And yet we live in this world where it's somehow good that Donald Trump is a criminal defendant, but somehow bad electorally for the president that his son is being investigated for something that, as far as we know, does not directly concerned yeah, about that, Donna. So the Hunter Biden is elevating this to a special counsel. The White House cannot be happy with Garland about this. Well, first of all, let me just say this. I mean, no one is above the law, not even the son of a president of the United States. We need to stress that. You don't see Democrats out here attacking Merrick Garland. You don't see Democrats out here, you know, saying the Justice Department is weaponized against the Biden. Hunter Biden has been under investigation for five years. I, I can tell you, that must, that, that, that is painful. That's painful not just to the president, but for people who love the Biden family. Because he has been under attack. He signed a plea deal a couple of months ago, and it fell apart. It collapsed. Once the judge took a look at the writing and said, I don't like all of these commas, or, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't want yeah. to pretend to be one. But the fact is, He's now going to go through this arduous. I mean, like you said, it's almost five years, and it's going to go on longer now. Five years, and there's no evidence uh, linking Hunter's business dealing to the president. The the Republicans have tried everything in Congress. They've tried everything. But this is warmed over, leftovers, and I do believe at the end of the day, if they can get that deal back on the table, Hunter Biden will be able to finally live his life again. So, so re- Republicans called for the special counsel now are denouncing the special counsel. I understand they say Weiss shouldn't be the guy. But is there, is there another reason behind this, Rachel? Yeah. Why Republicans are upset by the Justice Department doing something they asked the Justice Department to do? Yeah, the hypocrisy on it is uh, Steve Washington right there. But yeah, I mean, it's publicly Republicans are saying they don't trust 
the guy who was named specifically. Very but quiet. yes, of course. But um, there's other reasons. I mean, this really blows a hole in their top talking point when it comes to the White House, and that is this idea of you know the weaponization of the Justice Department. You know, saying that Hunter Biden's being treated differently than President Trump. Now the Biden family has more you know special counsels uh, than Trump does himself, right. and this is a man who's been indicted. What will be fourth? the fourth time, potentially this week. Um, and the other reason is that Republicans really wanted to do a quick impeachment of Joe Biden. They were already sort of been planning on it. This really uh, complicates that plan because Why? usually, if you go back to when Democrats flipped the House in 2019, mm -hmm. uh, there was a belief, you know, they were going to impeach Trump at some point. But the mantra on the Hill was like, okay, we don't touch this until the special counsel finishes Mull. work. Exactly, Robert Mull. That's right. This could very much, since it's just starting, could drag out into next year, which means that any impeachment push they have uh, is potentially going to stall. Moderate Republicans are not going to want to vote for an impeachment inquiry if there is an ongoing special counsel investigation into this. Yeah, what, what do you make of McCarthy raising the impeachment? I mean, was you know, he ever serious about it? or? You know, he has to be serious about it because he is being led around by the nose, essentially, by a faction of any five House Republicans. And I think, you know, he has flirted again and again, whether it's with shutting down the government or the impending, you know, crisis we may have with government uh, spending in September. Same thing with impeachment. Uh, he has a, a radical sort of fringe that's able to threaten, essentially, to depose him at any moment. You know, I can't even keep straight what the what the message is from Kevin McCarthy at this moment. I can't tell you. Is he wait? Is he? for impeachment right now, or he's for it, maybe. All right, on that, Ramesh, we'll get you next week on this one. Coming up, another potential indictment lose for Donald Trump in Georgia. Our Aaron Katursky is there at the courthouse, and we speak with one of the likely key witnesses in that case next. With so much at stake in our world right now, we wanted to thank you for your trust and for making ABC News America's number one news. said many times that Trump lost the election in Georgia. Um, let me ask you a question central to Jack Smith's case. Do you think Trump knew he lost? Well, the reality Moment is, and, and these are the off. facts, I mean, 27,000 people just decided to skip the top of the, of the election. They didn't vote for, for Biden or Trump. About 35,000 people who requested absentee ballots in the primary election as Republicans did not vote at all in the general election because... Donald Trump demonized voting by absentee, and we were still in the COVID crisis, so there's a lot of senior citizen voters who just didn't do it. And we keep on saying this over and over again. The one other thing that we've learned in, in public reporting on this is that he requested there be two independent uh, audits and verifications by outside groups, and both these paid $600,000, and both of them said, there was no fraud. You lost the state. We've been saying this over and over again. We counted the ballot three times. He lost this state. And he continues to say he didn't lose it, and it's just creating a lot of tension and a lot of chaos. It's completely unnecessary. I mean, there's real issues in this country. Anybody talking about a 2020 election is going to lose the general election. You're not gaining any voters by doing that. You, you testified before the special grand jury uh, that, that, that did so much of the investigation in this Fulton County case. Have you been asked to testify before the grand jury this week? Well, you're right. I testified before the special grand jury. I did two interviews with the DA's officers. Um, my lawyers haven't said I can talk too much about this one way or the other, so, but if I am called, when I am called, I will go and do what I did before. I will tell the truth, answer honestly. That's all we can do in this situation.
The, the Trump campaign is, is out with an ad labeling the prosecutors uh, investigating them as the fraud squad. Uh, Willis is among those included in this ad. that uh, she said contains derogatory and false information. Are you concerned that Trump's words, and it's not just that ad, it's obviously much more than just that. Are you concerned, once again, that we could see violence as a result of the former president's words? Obviously, at this point, you never know what's going to happen. My, my biggest concern for years now, and I've said this at elections conferences or the professionals who run elections around this country, is somebody will be motivated by some of this kind of language at some point and do something stupid. It's not going to be an organized thing. It's not going to be a bunch of conspirators together. I mean, one probably mentally unstable individual who's going to be radicalized through this process. And that's my biggest concern through this. But the underlying concern of this, is, and what I've seen, I've been involved in politics since the 80s. It's, it's this, and I get accused of both siderism on this. One side does something, then it justifies the other side doing something. People are scaling it up and scaling it up and scaling it up. And Trump's just the latest version of that. It's along with the, the left now demonizing the Supreme Court and saying it's okay to harass Supreme Court justices. We need more grown-ups. We need people to say, we got to knock this crap out and focus on the American people and what they need. I know everybody's getting tired of it, and it's difficult to say, and it, unfortunately it is both sides, and it has been building, defined. and it's like almost a reality TV show versus actual governance. I, I think a lot of people would agree with that sentiment, but let me ask you one final question. You've been crystal clear that Trump lost the election, there was no massive fraud. Why do so many Republican voters believe the lies about that? I think what it comes down to oftentimes now, um, our parties are... It's tribal. Um, if my party believes this, then therefore I will believe it. And if, and if you don't believe it, then you're committing apostasy and, and you're, not, you're not following the rules. And both sides, again, both sides are doing this. I mean, the people in Georgia are very sick of this. I mean, between the, the Russian hacking lie about Hillary winning and then Stacey Abrams claiming the election was stolen and then Donald Trump claiming the election was stolen, everybody who's talked about the stolen election has lost in this state. If you're going to be president of the United States, you have to win Georgia. Yeah, no, you, you, you don't complain about election fraud when you've won. Uh, thank yeah. you very much, Gabriel <laughs> Sterling. We'll be right back. With so much at stake, so much on the line, more Americans turn here than any other newscast. Derogatory, News. I'm looking at the, the definition of derogatory. And it says... Uh, if you have derogatory comments, that means you say things that are unflattering, unkind, or demeaning. Derogatory means about the same as insulting. <clears throat> derogatory language is meant to hurt, and usually does. If you feel offended or insulted by someone says the person probably said something derogatory. Huh. How do I get out of derogatory? Huh. Oh, okay. That's on your credit report. Mm, are Nazi text messages abuse? So while sending threatening text messages to someone is considered harassment, any other persistent and unwanted sending of text messages, even if not harassment, Persistent and unwanted sending of text messages, sometimes referred to as textual abuse. Huh. A form of dating violence that happens almost exclusively via text involves excessive and sometimes. Hmm.
I still had a problem with that when I was starting. When I was in my youth. How do manipulators practice? Is that a message as a form of abuse? Yeah. How many texts is it considered harassment? I keep sending repeated text messages with this kind of harassment. Keep in mind though that there are some exceptions. For instance, somebody is asking if you're okay, may send repeated messages if you're not answering. Just like guys, talk too much. I was just trying to have a conversation. No, people, um, you know, it's, pro it's probably because I, I wasn't uh, threatening or anything, but. Chase, but when I cared, so I figured out how to stop. Anyway, so how do you get someone to leave you alone legally? If they continue to harass you, actually ask them to stop and can then move on to more serious measures. One option is to get a restraining order. Training orders or court orders that prohibit someone from coming a certain distance or contacting you in any way. Hi there. Welcome back. You were cut off. I don't know why. Well, actually, I do know why. They don't want you to hear the real Hi, truth of what's going on about this MFR, worst criminal in human history. Please, everybody, call. Do your duty as an American. Call all three branches of government. Write down these numbers. Congress, 202-224-3121. White House, 202-456-1111. DOJ, 202-514-2000. Call them religiously every fucking day until they do their job. Tell them we want to see televised trials now. We want to see him in fucking court on TV for all his stupid-ass terroristic supporters. Otherwise, they're brainwashed. And the right-wing media in this country, which has four corporations that own all the major outlets, they're indoctrinating us, they're programming us to hate each other and attack each other, and, and it's happening. Trump supporters dying because they don't fucking throw them in jail. Like they should. Are struggling, and this one over here fucking is exploring job. the peppers and to form the foundation of Fonnie Willis's Fulton County DA's indictment she's going to obtain next week from her grand jury. There's going to be two components of the RICO Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organization Act conspiracy, organized crime conspiracy, that she's going to bring against Donald Trump and at least 11 others. And I'll give you some names I think are likely to be on the list. In order to show the criminal enterprise under Georgia law, the prosecutor has to show two underlying predicate acts or crimes. One of them, of course, is going to be the election direct interference by Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani, and others to try to interfere with the uh, absentee ballots and mail-in ballots. 
as Donald Trump called, to pressure the Secretary of State of Georgia to try to get rid of 12,000 votes. That wasn't all they did to interfere. They also put pressure on elect elected officials in the Georgia State House to try to get them to recognize fake elector certificates in lieu of the real elector certificates to decertify the electoral vote in advance of January 6th for Georgia. That's part of the election interference crime. You need a second crime. The second crime will be, based on reporting starting a year ago, will be the break-in, just like the Watergate break-in, of the Coffee County Election Office and the downloading illegally of election data from servers connected to Dominion voting system, voting, uh, voting machines, that was then turned over to a band of lawyers for Donald Trump and election deniers to try to use around the country to argue there was some sort of fraud when there was none. The leader of that gang, we've always known, was Sidney Powell. But now we know, based on new text messages and evidence that we believe are in the hands of Fawny Willis and her team, based on some really great reporting by CNN, uh, Zach Cohen, and Sarah Murray particularly, um, the text message and emails paint a wider picture with more dots to connect and links back to Donald Trump. Let me walk you through the people that are at the heart of this scheme. And I'll connect it to a middle of December 2020 White House meeting that's also been reported to Jack Smith and to Fawny Willis, in which a coup was discussed with Donald Trump, including Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Mike Flynn, the Overstock.com guy, Patrick Byrne, and others. There are witnesses to that, in which that group, including Donald Trump, discussed seizing voting machines, suspending the Constitution, and imposing martial law on the country. Until Rudy Giuliani had a great idea in that December meeting, why do we need to seize voting machines? Why don't we just access voter data, meaning surreptitiously, illegally, falsely trespassing uh, crime, access voter data in machines that we can get access to. That meeting is the December the 18th of 2020. By the time uh, beginning of January rolls around and the runoff election for Senator, now Senator John Ossoff, happened, a band of lawyers led by Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, and others hired a consulting firm. This is all in the hands of the prosecutor. That's why I'm reporting it here. Um, they hired Sullivan Strickland, a right-wing election-denying consulting firm, paid them a couple hundred thousand dollars. They hired Cyber Ninjas and its head, which is Doug Logan, also of Arizona and Michigan infamy, and put that group together. But in order to get access, they needed an invitation. They needed a key for the door. And they got it, based on reporting now that we have, they got it in the form of Kathy Latham, who also served as a fake elector. She was the head of the Republican Party in Coffee County, where Donald Trump, by the way, won 70% of the vote. It's just, yeah, it had Dominion, Dominion voting machines. And we know what Sidney Powell thought about that's them, because that got Fox News in trouble. They succeeded. Because they Dominion. But you, anything, they...
Republican Party. Fucking. That's why they won by PS. That's why, but they won by seventy percent. That's why Diaper Donald. That's why Diaper Donald won. wherever they could, wherever they could get away with it. And they just didn't get away with it in Georgia. Based on false representations of Sidney Powell. So we know at that moment in time where her head was at and what they needed, this band of thieves like the Watergate burglars to break in is they needed somebody to give them a key to the front door. And they got it in the form of not just Kathy Latham, who we always knew about as the right-wing election-denying um, uh, Republican chairperson of Coffee County, but now we know that Misty Hampton, a former, obviously, Coffee County election official, who had, who had not only created a video suggesting that falsely that Dominion voting machines and their software could not be trusted while she was an election official, she also failed to certify on time that county delaying the certification in Georgia to give Donald Trump more time to try to turn Georgia from Biden to Trump and steal the election. So she purposely dragged her feet. If you were watching on election night, you know, whenever, um, what's his name from CNN, went up to his board and started pushing counties, one of the counties that failed to report on time was little tiny Coffee County, but 70% for Donald Trump. Now we know why Misty Hampton was working in conspiracy to delay the certification to buy more time for Donald Trump to throw over the apple cart. Misty Hampton is now the focus of Fawny Willis and her investigation, because apparently she sent out an email and a text inviting Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and the Trump lawyers into the server room in Coffee County, opened the door for them, it gave them access, let them download off the computers that house the Dominion Voting System software, all of the private confidential voting data for you, me, independent, Republican, Democrat, whoever voted, you all should be up in arms about this. And that's called, that's a crime. Some people might be thinking, are they allowed to go in and download uh, data and information when they don't have the, they're not an election official and they're not doing it for a proper purpose? The answer to that is no. That was a very good question you asked and I had a ready answer for it. So it's also a crime in most states, almost all states. It's some form of computer hacking or computer trespass, which is what it sounds like. You're somewhere you're not supposed to be in this case, on, in a computer and downloading information. And they had the people to do it, right? Once they had the can opener to get in, they had the people that could go in and, and, and muck around in there and throw sand in those gears. They had, you know, the head of Cyber Ninjas, uh, Doug Logan. They had the, the Strickland 
the Sullivan Strickland people, a consulting firm that does forensic audits and works with computers. Doug Logan was so um, confident about what he was doing, he actually left a business card next to the server that the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the GBI, found when they went in there and heard there was a basically a broad daylight break-in under the permission of local election officials by outsiders and election deniers working for Donald Trump. But the key takeaway on this hot take is the direct link we have now back to Donald Trump. Your pet's a member of the family. My Lily certainly is. Don't feed them like they're in the doghouse. Give them Gnome Gnome. Gnome Gnome delivers fresh dog food with every portion personalized to your dog's needs. So you can bring out their best. Gnome Gnome is made with real whole food you can see in vegetables. Without any additives or fillers that contribute to bloating and low energy. That's because Gnome Gnome uses the latest Gnome Gnome. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trygnome.com slash legal layout. Spell trynom.com slash legal layout for 50% off. Trygnome.com slash legal layout. We always knew that that's it. And that she got the money from the campaign for Donald Trump and laid out the money to hire the consultants and brought in cyber ninjas. But what is the missing link? We finally have it. And now, more importantly, Phony Willis has it. And that is in the form of Catherine Freis, or Freis, F-E-R-F-R-E-I-S-S, Catherine Freis. You might remember that she's a lawyer that had worked with Rudy Giuliani. And you also may remember, and if not, I'm going to tell you here, that she's been missing in action and nobody's been able to find her, including a federal judge in the District of Columbia in a defamation case that's going south fast for Rudy Giuliani, brought by two Fulton County, Georgia election workers, mother and daughter, uh, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, who are suing for defamation because Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and, and Donald Trump defamed them, saying that they were, you know, uh, using fraudulent ballots for Biden and stuffing them into the ballot box when all they were doing was their job, which was counting election votes and putting already counted votes away in a locked case underneath their desk. Which, which the, when they ran the tape backwards, like Rudy Giuliani's brain works, they said that they were taking ballots out of the box and putting them into the into the uh, and stuffing the uh, ballot box with by with uh, Trump votes. We all know that's that's false. That's the heart of the defamation case. Catherine Priest has been subpoenaed for deposition related to her role in working with Rudy Giuliani to bash these two. This is the same Catherine Fries. So what did she do? She got the email or the text from Misty Hampton, the erstwhile or, or rogue election official uh, for, for Coffee County, who was dragging her feet, not certifying. And she actually got an invitation by email. It was the ray line was invitation to to come and download uh, election data. And of course, it went to the Trump lawyers. It got in the hands of a lawyer for Donald Trump working with Rudy Giuliani named Catherine Freis or Catherine Fries. She then sent it off to Sidney Powell and a bunch of other people, and they got their little team together for the break-in involving Sullivan Strickland, who was all excited. Sullivan Strickland was so excited that they said, we were just with the mayor, meaning Rudy Giuliani, and we have a way into the servers now which is exactly Rudy Giuliani's harebrained idea and scheme and part of the conspiracy that he hatched in the Oval Office on the 18th of December when he, Sidney Powell, 
Overstock.com guy and others suggested rather than seizing voting machines under martial law and suspend the Constitution and habeas corpus, why don't we just steal it from the machines? And how do we know that? Because a lawyer in the White House happened to be in the room, and he's already given testimony to the Jan 6 committee, and his name was Derek Lyons. And Derek Lyons said that that harebrained idea was Mayor Giuliani. So that's on the 18th. So by the 7th of January, the day after Jan 6th, they implement their plan, break in through an invitation of Misty Hampton and Kathy Latham, soon to be a fake elector, or had been a fake elector, as part of her part in the plot. And there, and we're off and running with the download of illegal, illegal download of information that goes off to election deniers and gets used, I guess, in courthouses all around America. But all I know is they lost 70 of those cases. You know, that team was 0-70 because nothing on that data showed that Dominion voting systems was susceptible to fraud or that there was fraud in the election or, or fraud dispositive, meaning enough fraud to overcome the, you know, 12,000 vote advantage for Joe Biden in Georgia. And that's the problem. So what is the conspiracy wheel or the predicate act wheel for this particular thing I'm talking about? Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Catherine Freese, right? They're the lawyers. They get an invitation, as I outlined, from Misty Hampton, an election official who basically says in her email, welcome, come on down, open house. You can have whatever you want inside our servers. You can download it. We'll help you with it. We'll open the door. And Kathy Latham, the head of the election office, does the same thing. In fact, we got a video we're going to run here in my hot take of the break-in, of them being invited in to download all of the information, right? So you've got that, right? You've got Powell, Giuliani, and Freiss as the lawyers. Then you've got the non-lawyer hackers who get in there, and that's Doug Logan for Cyber Ninjas and the, and the guys from Sullivan Strickland. You also have uh, Jim uh, uh, Pearsod, who is a former NSA officer who worked for Sidney Powell as well. And so when you put all of that together, you've got the second thing, the second shoe to drop that, that um, at least that um, the Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis needs in order to show a criminal enterprise. She has to have two independent predicate acts, two bad acts. She's got them both, right? Now she's going to use this computer uh, hacking and trespass as her crime. Interesting, interesting now, cannibalism has broken out among all of the lawyers for Donald Trump and their lawyers, because, of course, MAGA make attorneys get attorneys. So Giuliani has an attorney. His name is Robert Costello. You may recall he was also or is still a lawyer for Steve Bannon, right? Because these guys can't afford to get like independent lawyers. They all have to try to share lawyers and create ethical conflicts built into those representations. Be that as it may, Costello reached for comment about the cyber hacking and Giuliani's role in it. Remember, the, the Sullivan Strickland guy was all excited because he said in his own text, hey, just with the mayor, we've got a breakthrough. We're going to be, yeah, I think he meant break in. We're going to be able to get into Coffee County and get all the election data. Costello said, don't associate my client with any of that crackpot Sidney Powell stuff. Crackpot Sidney Powell. First of all, we've already had testimony to Jack Smith and the Jan 6 committee that Giuliani and Powell were the captains, co-captains of Team Crazy. 
That's Eric Hirschman's words, the White House Deputy General Counsel, and other people's words. So to say now, this is the cannibalism, right? This is a, I'm not, I'm not as crazy as Sidney Powell, you know, some sort of crazyometer that we have to use to measure who's crazier in this thing. But Giuliani's got a, is going to have a tough argument here since he's the one based on Derek Lyons testimony to the Jan six committee wearing his white house deputy general counsel hat that suggested, why don't we just break into computers housing voting data rather than seize the machines. And then within two weeks later, they're doing just that led by Sidney Powell, who's in the same meeting. And you've got the Sullivan Strickland guy saying with the mayor, every time, there's a text involving voting and interference referencing Giuliani internally. They call him the mayor. There's only one the mayor. And the mayor is all excited, too. So, look, Costello, I mean, this constant, you know, I know you get paid to do a job, but, like, you know, you're trying to tear down all sorts of witnesses and try to act like that person's crazy, you know, like T-shirts, he's crazier than me or she's crazier than me. This is not going to work in a court of law. So this is the takeaway for today. The new, the new information is in the indictment that we're going to see starting as early as this Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. We're going to see computer hacking, computer trespassing, and that group of people. We may even see in the Popak Porter board that I used on Legal AF yesterday, we may even see the number 12 spot filled with somebody like Misty Hampton, the former election official who dragged her feet to certify in order to and let everybody in and invited them in to hack the computers. She could be number 12. Under, under the rest of these people um, in Georgia for Fawny Willis. But we'll have to see um, where, where we're going to end up. But that's the, that is the hottest of hot takes right now in advance as we, as we start getting more information out there. Three more witnesses left, apparently, for um, Fawny Willis to bring in on Monday, Tuesday, next week. That's it. Everything else she did with the reading of transcripts from the 75 witnesses she developed at the other grand jury, the non-indicting special purpose investigatory grand jury. She already had witness testimony there, but she's bringing in three. A, jur- a former journalist for the Atlanta uh, Journal-Constitution who, who stumbled into the room as the fake electors were meeting in the Georgia State House to sign their certificates, including Kathy Latham. And he and he'll report about what he saw and what they told them, which was when he said to them as a good journalist, what are you guys doing here? And they said, oh, it's educational meeting. (laughs) Right. Because there was already an email to keep everything quiet, surreptitious and conspiratorial. Don't tell people about it. And he's going to talk to the jury and testify to the jury about that, along with the former Republican lieutenant uh, lieutenant uh, governor of the state. Uh, Again, this is as we saw in the Jan six committee. Republicans are testifying against other Republicans and Donald Trump. These are not primarily Democratic people, Democrat people that are coming in, if you will. They're all, they're all in the Republican camp. We'll follow it in one place, the YouTube channel for the Midas Touch Network. Free subscribe there. We're pushing towards 2 million subscriptions. It's all free. Hot takes like this one also comes at you free. I sit at the intersection of law and politics, and I do it on hot takes about every day, only one place you knew that. It's on the Midas Touch Network. You can follow me, Michael Popak, on all things social media at MS Popak, and I co-anchor the leading podcast on the intersection at the intersection of law and politics on Midas Touch Network called Legal AF. We film it live. We tape it live on Wednesdays and Saturdays. 
and you can come on. We had 300,000 people that joined us just in the last day while we did the weekend edition. And then we take that podcast, we put it everywhere you get your podcast from, including all the platforms, Spotify, Google, and Apple. And uh, that's what we do. And if you like what we do, give me a thumbs up here in this hot take. It helps leave a comment or DM me and I'll come back at you. This is Michael Popak. Until the next hot take for Legal AF. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. on your favorites with personalized coupons and deals so you can spend less and get more. I said bet you a billion dollars Republicans did the same thing across the country that they did in Georgia. Stealing and changing the vote. Suspend the Republican Party now. Christopher Price Trump for prison. P.S. That's why Diaper Donald won there by 70%. Keep calling him Mr. Trump. He hates that. Narcissistic, malignant, psychopath. Sociopath isn't quite accurate. I'm Oxford University psychology tutor. I have duty to warn. Diaper Don. He also hates that, so keep calling him that. Has some same psychological profile as Jim Jones. They don't call him President Jim Jones for nothing. Never forget he idolizes Hitler. Pass it on. The world should know he has Hitler's mind comp on his bedside table according to Ivana divorce papers. Christopher Perez, Trump prison. Hey, Judge Chetkin, how about checking him in jail, at least for one night, please? Stop threatening us with a good time. Start the trial now. And make sure it's televised for all to see as insane supporters need to see all these criminal trials. Trust for President Trump for prison. Every visit MAGA makes to sing songs with insurrectionists in jail, etc. Should be considered a count of terrorism by aiding and abetting providing comfort and aid to terrorists. Republicans want to defund DOJ and FBI because law enforcement is investigating them. And law enforcement is a bunch of PABs, pussy-ass bitches, because they should have arrested Trump and got this party started January 21st. If the Justice Department did their damn job, all these MFers would have been removed from Congress long ago and behind bars as insurrectionists, Trump for prison. I withdraw my offer to be RFK Jr.'s VP because he wouldn't fire Bannon and all the Trump staffers working on his campaign, but I would be down for appointing him head of the EPA. Or I tagged RFK Jr. Oh, come on about RFK Jr. running or anyone other than Biden. Isn't competition supposed to be healthy? I, for one, consider the 2024 elections to have open primaries, right? May the best man or woman win. Hopefully woman and hopefully me. This two-party duopoly has to go. I'm the only candidate calling for abolishing both parties, running candidates on just name and platform. It's what the Founding Fathers wanted. They warned us against these factions, they called them. I'm the only candidate calling for massive political reforms before 2024 elections. Probably most important, abolish, uh, abolish the Electoral College before they steal another election from us. That means if a candidate, compassionate and entertaining like me, I could probably win the youth vote, which would be key. Corporate Democrats are out of step with the majority of Americans. It's like their recent ads. You can't hear what they're saying, Representative Raskin or Joe Biden, because their volume's really low. Corporate Democrats are incompetent, and they barely won against the worst criminal in human history. Stop stealing our elections. 
Everybody knows Bernie Sanders should be our president right now, serving a second term, and a million Americans would likely still be alive if it weren't for the Democrats cheating in the primaries both years. Just saying. Hey, FBI, if you need a volunteer to help you go round up this dogie in Miami, don't be chicken shit. Emojis. Hey, Joe, Joe Biden, tag team, put me in to replace Mark Garland. Just five minutes. We disqualify Trump, round him up like dogie, along with 160 plus GOP traitors. Don't threaten me with a good time now. Yeehaw! I got me a horse that could fix that rag. Trust for Perez, Trump for prison. Welch. She's fucked, hopefully, perjury trade agree, and MTG set up a fake charity just like George Santos and pocketed the money for a Palestinian water charity with her staffers. Shouldn't she be expelled from Congress? Call Congress. 202-64-3121. From listening to everything they published and babysitting their YouTube list, the Mighty Touch Network deserves free musical contribution from me, a proud member of the Mighty's Mighty, as thanks for their stupendous job leading us through this tumultuous time in our country's history. Thanks, guys and gals. You are leaders in the pro-democracy movement, especially Ben Marcellus, MS Popak, Michael Popak, and former assistant DA for the Manhattan DA, not to mention Harry Littman, Glenn Kirshner. T together, this group of dedicated pro-democracy lawyers, they are informing the public like never before, and that is the reason that growth is exponential, and they are getting as many views as MSNBC, for example. When I'm president, I'll be granting the first Camelot Award, Camelot Prize, to my such. Proud to be Midas Mighty and a real, not just honorary producer for Midas Touch. They are fact-based. It's the only cult I want to join. LOL. In fact, I've been asking them a million times if I could join the network with my show, Politics AF, at the intersection of comedy and politics, but I also cover important new documentaries on ancient history as a wannabe archaeologist. And my new show is the first time I've announced it, Blast from the Past. My last show was the music of Ultravox. I'm a music producer as well as musician, singer, songwriter, guitarist, bass player, percussionist, kazoo player, saxophonist, trumpet player, etc. Double bass. So anyway, I've been working on vocals and accompanying music for several Mighty Touch Network shows, including Michael Cohen's Mea Culpa podcast. That's it, my Mea Culpa. No, baby, don't love me. But tell you, my story don't grab for me, yeah. I take a time not to find by me. That's it, my... Make you burn, I'll break it on the night. Um, and Ben Marcellus, new amazing show, Political Pizza. Glenn Kirshner, Justice, 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 Minus, Justice. Justin, Justin, and pretty Let me go. I am politics girl. Politics, politics, politics girl. We like politics, politics, politics girl. Tony Michaels podcast. Oh yeah, here comes Tony Michaels. Podcast. Okay, and my such. Um, we got the maddest touch. Everything we touch turns good. Oh, sugar. Trump, you got the ma reverse maddest. Dapper Don got the reverse maddest touch. Everything you touch turns shit. <laughs> 
That uh, this this is a uh, work in progress. Of course, I plan to do serious recording of them all in the very near future. I check out my Facebook page, Music by D. Trista, produced and published on YouTube. Twenty albums of originals and cover music. Tristan Nittles and Radio Banchow. Enjoy it. We've got to number eight on Tucson's alternative charts. KLPXI Heart, Arizona. Um, Trump shit posts in prison. <laughs> Turn off the political theater. More of the same is not the American way. Let's pursue opportunities. Let's she build wants me a behind better bars. future. Prosperity is. So that's me. Morning, Joe. This is Michael Popak, Legal Eight. This past weekend, uh, almost a, a, a bar fight between the DeSantis and Trump people at one point, uh, which actually started. It's crazy. I've, I think first time, Jonathan, we are in the history of, of politics that a bar a fight started when one side said, you know, you know, you you lost the campaign. And then it heated up from there when the DeSantis people said that to the Trump people. But, you know, uh, you've been in the position of Vaughn Hilliard, getting shouted down by uh, the president of the United States here, the former president of the United States, calling him a wise guy for suggesting what every attorney, criminal attorney I've talked to has said Donald Trump needs to do. Why don't you and plead insanity? Do a plea Ask him to plead in. insanity. He's boxed in because... He has so many charges against him. Uh, as, as his own supporters have said, one conviction on one of those 70. Oh, shit. Trista, what'd you do? Oh, man. This morning, Joe. Ah. Oh, man. Oh, fuck. I heard this. 77, 78 charges basically amounts to a life sentence. So yes, if he if he's not talking about a possible plea deal right now, he's not a wise guy at all. In fact, he's quite dumb. He can't BS his way out of this, which is, of course, what he's done since 74, 75. It's almost like he's thinking he's fighting against the New York Post in 1977. <laughs> this is so much different, and it is so deeper, and he's not going to be able to BS his way out of this. Yeah. First of all, Mr. Wise Guy, not a terribly unflattering nickname as far as these things go. Trump has called me a sleazebag. He's deemed that I simply not. don't have what it takes. I mean, he's had yeah. no shortage of insults uh, from <laughs> Donald Trump headed my way, um, and I know everyone else in this show has gotten them, too. Uh, but you make a good point. This is Donald Trump throughout most of his life. has just used bravado and bluffing and just flat-out lying to escape trouble. He, as a New York real estate developer, he became a celebrity, he became wealthy, he got a TV show, and then, of course, 
ventured into politics and became president. And after hitting, being hit, of course, administration dogged by scandal after scandal, he suffered very few consequences until, of course, he lost the election and then he was impeached twice. But even then, he returned to his gilded life. He is still lives in Mar-a-Lago. He lives in Bedminster. He is someone who is still in demand at political rallies. He's still famous and rich, all of those things. But this time, the consequences are different. And it's important to have this conversation with these charges in Georgia looming because he's facing these federal cases. And look, his bank shot strategy here to win is to be elected and then to make those go away, to self-pardon or to tell his attorney general to squash those investigations. He can't do that in Georgia. And there may be, it's a sting case, he can't pardon himself. And he is now, his usual tactics aren't going to work. And he is simply unable to adjust, facing potentially uh, a contempt charge in federal case in D.C. because he keeps posting uh, about the judge and about witnesses. And he is someone who is, for the first time, may actually face consequences that will change his life. Well, and it, it really does seem as if he doesn't get it uh, because, again, he's he's going after the judge as, it, 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 as if in the D.C. case, as if he wants to be brought up on contempt charges. Uh, and, and again, he, he has won in politics by disrupting, by being the great disruptor. I got it. He ran against a bunch of people in 16 that had no clue how to respond to that. They were, whenever they were on the debate stage, they were on in Donald Trump's domain. He owned the stage. He knew how to work the cameras. He knew how to work the crowds. It's something, Mika, that you and I saw in our years knowing him beforehand. He knew how to do that. Yeah. Federal court is so completely different. And if he's thinking that he can abuse the judge, he can start riots, he can make a mockery of that process, this federal judge is not going to allow that to happen. And in fact, no federal judge would allow that to happen. We look at what other than the one that he has in South Florida. We look at the very conservative uh, uh, 11th Circuit. No nonsense, all business on those appeals uh, coming up from Cannon. You look at the United States Supreme Court, the Donald Trump says, my Supreme Court on every one of these issues, these challenges. They're no nonsense. They reject uh, uh, Trump's statements. It's going to happen again. And as Jonathan brings up, we've got a Georgia indictment most likely looming, according to news reports on Tuesday or Wednesday. We're going to be talking to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Greg Bluestein in a minute about that. But when that comes up, even even him getting elected president of the United States, if he still thinks he has a chance of that, doesn't help in Georgia. He can't pardon himself for a state conviction, which again, the evidence there is pretty damning, pretty overwhelming. So again, right now, let's go back to what Trump was talking about with with Vaughn Hilliard, calling him a wise guy. Uh, If he's not thinking about a plea deal, he's living on another planet uh, because he is in such great legal jeopardy. And as papers are reporting this weekend, and of course it makes sense, you've got four or five indictments coming your way, plus mm-hmm. all of these civil charges, that he's yeah, running out of money. Mm-hmm. Mm.
Right. Well, we'll talk to Vaughn next hour. I, I will say one reason why he may not be uh, thinking of a plea deal or wanting to consider that is this is a man who has, what, faced 77 years of his life of no consequences, of always being able to skirt the law, skirt the rules, skirt the boundaries, skirt the foundational um, yeah. ethics of something. He's found a way to get around everything that he has put in his path that he has chosen Not to do whether it be corrupt or a crime We'll see, but it's definitely heating up because he is not backing off. Along with Jonathan Lemire, Joe, and me, we have former aide to the George W. Bush White House and State Department's Elise Jordan, founder of the conservative website The Bulwark, Charlie Sykes, and former U.S. attorney and senior FBI official Chuck Rosenberg. And as we were just mentioning, as he awaits possible charges in Georgia, which could happen this week, Trump is already testing the limits of a new... RGMY is a sister winery of RGMX. RGMX was of a new protective order put in place in the federal election interference case against him. This is the one, of course, playing out in Washington, D.C. Now, in court on Friday, Judge Tanya Chutkan ruled that going forward, Shut Trump's down. lawyers Shut must up. review any notes he takes while looking at sensitive materials to make sure he is not copying down personal information about witnesses. She also mm -hmm. prohibited him from having a phone out while reviewing those materials for the same reason. Prosecutors requested the order after Trump started attacking potential witnesses, special counsel Jack Smith, and even the judge herself on social media. On Friday, Judge Chutkin warned the former president's lawyers that, quote, while he has a First Amendment right to free speech, that right is not absolute. She added that the more a party makes inflammatory statements about this case, the greater the urgency will be that we proceed to trial quickly. Listen to those words. Despite Trump's lawyers insisting that he would, quote, scrupulously abide by the conditions of his release, it didn't take long for the former president to see Malink start breaking the rules on social media last night. In addition to calling Jack Smith a deranged low-life prosecutor, the former president went after the judge herself, sharing a post with her photo and a caption falsely claiming that she, quote, openly admitted she's running election interference against Trump. Later on, he wrote that she was, quote, very biased and unfair and that she obviously wanted him behind bars. Last night, attorney Neil Katyal posted, quote, it would not surprise me that Josh Chuckian called a hearing with Trump's presence given his new remarks. And Joe, I mean, isn't he pushing this? Wouldn't it be in his best interest to push this to the limit? No, it's it's not in his best interest to push in it. Again, some ways, we're, we're, no, I think we're, see, here's here's the thing. I think it does. Here's the thing. We 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 are all so accustomed to Donald Trump saying outrageous things and getting away with it, just like we were accustomed to uh, that guy that was lying about uh, Sandy Hook parents saying really outrageous things about everybody. And then you get a billion-dollar settlement. Tucker Carlson on Fox News saying the most outrageous things about everybody on and off camera. And we're like, oh, I guess you just get away with that now. No, we didn't. Because yeah, why? Can. Because 
The great leveling win is the judicial system. It's it's the, the third branch of government. Donald Trump, again, thinks that he's fighting a fight Don't against the New York yourself, Post in 1977. He thinks he's pussies. fighting against Marco Rubio in the 2016 uh, primary election. He thinks he thinks he's fighting against clueless people like you and me on on news that they can set up as as you know set up straw men and knock them down. I guarantee you, you can say what you want about a lowly country lawyer that happens to fall off a turnip truck outside of 30 Rock and get a TV show for a couple of years. You cannot do that to a federal judge, especially a federal judge who is unanimously selected by the United States Senate, I think a 98 to nothing confirmation, and and, and perhaps one of the most respected judges uh, in, in that district. So um, I want to bring in Chuck here. Uh, and uh, you may disagree with me, Chuck, but uh, where I come from, uh, you say th- you, you start lying about federal judges and posting their pictures. And by the way, where I come from, some, some bad things have happened in Alabama to federal judges in the past. They've been blown up. Uh, when they've tried to open packages in their home, federal judges have. Uh, and, and federal judges don't take. Uh, these these sort of uh, accusations and threats lightly. So I'm curious uh, what what may lie ahead for Mr. Trump. And given your years of experience in the federal court, what would happen to any other criminal defendant that that behaved this way uh, and thumbed his nose at a federal judge's ruling? Yeah. Well, first, Joe, let me tell you what lies ahead for Mr. Trump. Yeah. And the road we're on is obviously bumpy and messy. But the road we're on leads to a federal courthouse and a trial and a jury where Mr. Trump does not control the rules or the venue. That's where it leads. And whether he, you know, it's fine if he pleads guilty, but from the perspective of a prosecutor, it's also fine if he doesn't. You know, I probably tried 50 or 60 uh, federal criminal cases um, because 50 or 60 some odd defendants didn't want to plead guilty. Fine. Okay. So be it. We get paid either way. We go to trial. So even though it's going to be ugly and messy, and even though he's going to push the limits, he's going to end up in a federal courtroom in trial pursuant to the rules of law and evidence that he doesn't control. That's where this goes. Now, the hard thing for the judge, really for everyone who cares about the fair administration of justice between now and then, is that it's going to be hard to keep this guy sort of in line. We get that. The judge understands that. There are gradiated, gradiated, graduated punishments that she can impose. She can order a gag rule. She can hold him in contempt. If it gets really bad, by the way, federal prosecutors have a solution. Remember, they superseded charges in the Southern District of Florida. If he's going after witnesses, harassing, intimidating them, they can charge him with that, too, and supersede the indictment in Washington, D.C. One way or the other, Joe, this leads to a federal courtroom and a venue he does not control. 
At the same time, Chuck, I just want to know if any other defendant had behaved this way, what would be happening to them right now? Because I feel like Trump will push this to the limit, knowing his past behavior, his pattern in every other situation he's been in in his life, even in legal situations. We saw him in the defamation lawsuit. He is he is unstoppable in terms of his relentless abuse of the truth and the rules. And I just wonder, again, back to my initial question, anyone else, any other defendant who has done what he has done over the weekend, would they be treated differently? Death row by now for all the crimes he's committed. Hi everyone, I'm Melanie Barcenas, and this hey, is my undeniably great moment presented by Powered. Treated differently. Yeah, you know, so it's hard to compare him to every other defendant because I have never seen any other defendant, Mika, who behaves the way he does. I mean, he's a, he's a violent, narcissistic man. Many defendants, most defendants, overwhelmingly so, abide by court orders. But again, the judge has tools in her tool belt to address this. Now, she has to be careful. The man's running for president, whether we like it or not. He's running for president, and he is entitled to his First Amendment political speech as any other candidate would be, and I don't think she wants to step on that, but there will be orders that he might violate. If he does, my guess is that he will be treated like any other defendant who violates the order. There will be sanctions. Oh, yeah, Again, right. she could impose a gag order. She can hold him in civil contempt. She could seek criminal contempt, and the Department of Justice can supersede if he actually breaks additional laws. So, yeah, in the end, Amika, and I believe this, I may be completely wrong, but I believe this, he will be treated like any other defendant. Oh, come on. And you know, Charlie Sykes, uh, no uh, federal judge or two yourself, feel free to answer any of those previous questions that, that, that I passed to Chuck. But also, as Chuck says, he's going to end up in federal court. Uh, and if you... If you listen to the judge's instructions in their last hearing, it's going to be sooner rather than later because the more he acts this way, she says, the greater the requirement to speed up the process. So suddenly yeah, we're looking at a January a good trial. Time. There's a conviction of February, you know, possibly a conviction by, by February. I, I can't imagine the appeals court dragging things out too long. And most appeals courts always defer back to the trial judge. You know, he could be facing the music by spring. No, I mean, to Chuck's point, I mean, you know, none of this is normal and we shouldn't pretend that it's normal. But this is really an amazing uh, stress yeah, great, test for the American for judicial system um, because Donald Trump uh, is daring the judge. He is baiting the judge. You know, to Mika's point, it is if he is goading to see how far he can he can push this because maybe he wants to be a martyr. But. What I think is interesting um, will, be, uh, will be to watch how she responds to all of this. Uh, and I'd be interested in getting Chuck's views on whether or not the judge, uh, short of actually finding him uh, in contempt of court, can call him in and his lawyers in into her courtroom and say, Mr. Trump, um, I would like you to explain now what you mean by these statements. Ask him point by point. Explain what you mean 
Former Georgia State Senator Jen Jordan and former State Representative B. Wynn are also confirmed to have received subpoenas. DA Willis has said she will announce any potential charging decisions by September 1st. Let's bring in political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Greg Bluestein. He's also an NBC News... Thanks for 227 K. Oh, an NBC News contributor. Great, great to have you on. We had we had heard all along that this time frame was the Georgia time frame for potential indictment. The fact that the folks that I just named are testifying this week, um, does it indicate that we're still perhaps some time away from possible charges, if any? No, I mean, to us, at least, it indicates that these could be as early as Tuesday. I mean, we've had, we've kind of known for a while that this would be the week where um, the grand jury could be meeting to, to, to determine whether or not there could be charges against the former president and his allies. Now we know on the record that Jeff Duncan, the former lieutenant governor, and George Chidi, the independent journalist, are both testifying Tuesday. So we think the timeline looks as early as Tuesday. It might not be Tuesday, but as early as Tuesday, we could hear an announcement from the Fulton County District Attorney about these charges. Hey, Greg, so walk us through some of the possible charges uh, that Donald uh -huh. Trump could face there and whether this particular investigation, unlike some of the others, makes a band beyond Trump and others may also get a day. Yeah, well, this is this is an investigation that could very well extend and is believed to, to expand beyond Donald Trump uh, to his inner circle to members of the fake elector group in Georgia, uh, to others who tried to overturn his election results. And the, and the biggest charge we're looking at potentially is RICO charges. Uh, Fonnie Willis, the district attorney here in Fulton County, is an expert on RICO charges. She's used them successfully in Atlanta public school cheating case. Uh, you know, th these are these are expansive charges that have been used not just against organized crime, but street gangs. Um, she's, she's pursuing charges involving uh, rap groups right now in Atlanta that could involve RICO charges, and they could also be used against Donald Trump. She has she uh, employed experts in RICO charges, too to help this investigation. And look, that's, that's again why we're looking at charges beyond Donald Trump. Um, about 20 or so folks, 20 or so people involved in the, in the effort to undermine Joe Biden's victory here in Georgia have received criminal target letters. Eight of them, at least eight of them, they're fake electors, uh, have agreed to immunity deals, but that leaves another mm -hmm. dozen or so on the table. All right, with all that, former New Jersey governor and 2024 White House hopeful Chris Christie offered his take on a possible fourth indictment of former President Trump. Let me remind the viewers out there, if he's indicted in Atlanta this week, as we're anticipating that he will be, we will have the frontrunner for the Republican nomination for president out on bail in four different jurisdictions, New York, Miami, Washington, and Atlanta. What I think Republican voters have to ask themselves is two things. First is, is he really the guy under indictment in four different cases, given the conduct that he committed, someone who can beat Joe Biden or any other Democrat in November 2024? And when are we going to stop pretending that this is normal? Yeah, that's the question I ask every day, and I 
I assume you do too as well, Chuck, but in terms of Georgia, from what we know so far and the names of the people that we just looked at who are still testifying, those who have received immunity deals, what can we uh, what can we read from that in terms of what the charges might be against Trump if there is a possible indictment, which appears likely? And also just tagging on the end here, if the judge in D.C. or Georgia decides to revoke his bail, how complicated is that with the Secret Service? Yeah, second question first, Mika. Complicated. I mean, I think there are ways to do it. I think logistically for the Secret Service, which protects Mr. Trump, it becomes very complicated. She could also revoke his bail and put him under house arrest, which would be um, a little bit worse for him and a little bit easier for the Secret Service. Uh, on the first question, you know, based on the excellent reporting of Greg and his colleagues, you know, it looks like RICO charges are quite possible. What makes that so interesting is that it lets a prosecutor go broad, like conspiracy charges. It lets a prosecutor sweep in lots and lots of conduct. You know, Congress created a federal RICO statute in 1970. Georgia was one of about three dozen states that modeled its state RICO statute on the federal RICO statute. Georgia passed its statute in 1980. But Georgia went broad. Georgia added more predicate acts that could be swept into a RICO charge than many other states, and even more than the feds. And so what you might see out of Georgia, if reporting is accurate, and it often is, are charges brought predicated on RICO, um, but the acts would involve false statements, forgeries. In other words, much of the conduct related to the slates of fake electors that were um, used in numerous states, but including in Georgia. So it, it's a great tool for prosecutors. It allows them to sweep in a lot of conduct. Um, and in Georgia, in particular, it allows prosecutors to go sort of more broad, more, more broadly. Uh, than their federal counterparts. So a very interesting thing to watch. The other interesting thing, Mika, is what will the designated enterprise Recently, a California woman found $20,000 in cash at a restaurant with no owner coming forward to claim it. The woman was worried that the money came from an illegitimate source. So she contacted our reporters and we managed to track down the owner after a week. However, we found out that Mr. Smith liked to gamble during his spare time, and ever since he started playing a free virtual slot game called Cash Frenzy, he didn't go to casinos for six months and saved $230,000. In this game, players can click spin to hit a jackpot in as fast as 10 spins. What is this shit? Lucky day, I can hit a jackpot of up to 10 trillion points in just a minute. Mr. Smith ended up giving the cash to the woman as a thank you. The link for this app is below this video. You can give it a try right now. That shit should be outlawed. Fucking scam. Will the designated enterprise be, as Greg mentioned, um, your enterprise can be, you know, Atlanta teachers, it can be biker gangs, it could be drug cartels. In this case, the criminal enterprise could well be the Trump campaign. Mm -hmm. Oh, no.